sanctuary, listening on the radio, or watching on Facebook. We're so glad you've decided to join us and worship our Lord together. We're going to start with a prelude this morning called Revelation Song. It's one that many of us are familiar with. And before we read that, I want to read from the book of Revelation where the words from the song come from. This is from Revelation 4. This is a scene of the angels worshiping God in heaven. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Later on, they also say, you are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Let's join in and worship the Lord together this morning. If you're able, I invite you to stand and sing Revelation song with us.
what a way to set the tone for worship this morning. I do have several announcements before we start our service. The roses on the altar this morning are in honor of two couples who are celebrating 50-plus years of marriage. Bruce and Ellen Eschmeyer will be celebrating 53 years of marriage on September 13th. And Terry and Sally Wisman will be celebrating also 53 years of marriage on September 14th. Congratulations to both couples. The fall, kick, fall picnic and kickoff today is out in the parking lot. There's a bounce house being set up outside for the kids along with other games. At 11 a.m., there is a carry-in lunch. The church is providing the roast beef, the buns, and the drinks. So please come and enjoy a, a family outing over there today with a, a lunch also. Sunday school and confirmation classes start next Sunday, September 19th. And we will be presenting our second grade students with their own adventure Bibles during church that morning. There are numerous other announcements in the bulletin. I'd encourage you to look them over. And now to start our service this morning, we've already risen. So join me in our call to worship on, from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The degrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from the sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Remain standing for our praise song, Holy Water.
be seated. Will the children come forward for the children's chat with Maria? How are you guys today? Good. Good. All right. Well, as I was scanning the congregation as you all were walking in, I don't think my 19 balloons I have are going to be quite enough. So we may have to do a balloon IOU or something. I'm not sure. But I am so excited that you guys are all here. Come on up. Yep, come have a seat. All right. So, Miss Reagan, I would like your help today. Can you be my volunteer? Sure? Okay. So, I have this notebook here and this pen, and I need you to write something down for me. Can you do that? All right. It is hot. Is she doing it right, Benjamin? I don't know. All right. She did it right? Okay, good. So, who came up with the words on this paper? Did Reagan come up with them? Who came up with them? I did. I did. These are my words, right? I told her what to write down. Yeah? All right. So, she may have written it down, but it came from my brain and my mouth. These are my words. I didn't just use them, I just used Reagan to write them down for me. And you know, that's kind of how the Bible is. The Bible is God's word, right? But did God sit down and write all the words in the Bible? No, he didn't. He told somebody to write the book? Yeah, he's, he inspired somebody to write them. And kings and prophets and poets and friends of Jesus, they all wrote. And they were inspired by Jesus. Okay? It's kind of like Jesus told them what to say. Like I told Reagan what to write down. God told them what to write down. Okay? So in our scripture reading that we're going to hear later today, it says that The ideas and meanings in the Bible came from God. He inspired the Bible. Okay, that means that these words were breathed out by God. Okay, and that's kind of what inspired means, to to breathe out. Okay, so what do I have here? A balloon. Okay, it's just floppy, right? Yep, it's just floppy. It's not blown up. Okay. It really can't do much. But when I put my breath in it, my air is going into the balloon. And the balloon kind of comes to life, doesn't it? Yeah, because without air, there's not much there. It's just rubber. Can't do much with this. But when I put my air into it, I breathe life into the balloon. Now we can knot it and we can go play with it. Or we could put water in it and we could have fun, right? Well, that's what happens with the Bible. God-breathed Bible will help us bring inspiration into our lives. There are a lot of awesome things in the Bible. We can go to the Bible to find help, to sing praises, to know how to live our lives, right? So... We know that the Bible is God-breathed. It's God-inspired because those are God's words inside it. God wants to communicate his heart and how much he cares and loves each one of us. And when we read the Bible, we can be confident that it contains the word of God. These are God's words. And it is a gift from him. So, all right, now. I have 19 balloons up there. 
if I am going to see one of you this week, meaning you come to my house for preschool, can you wait to get a balloon until I see you at preschool this week and let everybody else have a balloon first? Or I will just bring more balloons next week and share. Okay? So let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the Bible. We know that it's true and it is inspired by you. Help us to be faithful to read it and help us to understand what it means. Thank you for your love and we love you, God. Thank you for Jesus and in his name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Amen. Thank you, Maria. And thank you, kids, for coming up here. I think I counted 25, but there might have been somebody hiding behind the altar up here. It's wonderful to see all you kids here in the service today. Um, again, you're all invited to stay after church for the Sunday school kickoff that's happening outside in the parking lot. And, of course, everybody's invited to stay for lunch at a, that's being served at 11 o'clock. Uh, this morning, our offering is going to support the Sunday school ministry, uh, which is a wonderful ministry that will be starting up officially today but then the classes begin next week so your offering this morning is going to go in support of that ongoing ministry here at first church and we're very excited to have the choir back with us this morning uh, looking forward to another season of them blessing us with music during the offertory time so thank you holly thank you choir for being here this morning and at this time i invite the deacons to come forward to collect the offering
invite you to remain standing as we sing our next praise song, The Goodness of God. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, I invite you to pray with me at this time. Father, your goodness does run after us. You have been so good to us, Lord, that we could spend the rest of the day uh, telling you and telling each other 
about all the blessings and all of the provision and all of the guidance you've made for us in our lives. As individuals, as a church, as a community, we are certainly grateful and thankful for your goodness towards us. And Lord, this time this morning, these, the offering through, through music, through singing, through prayer, through studying your word is just a, a small way for us to give back to you what you have given to us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you that from first to last, you are God and there is no other. We remember this day, Lord, um, your faithfulness to us in the past. Lord, this weekend was the 20th anniversary of the, of the awful terror attacks that happened in New York City and Washington, D.C. and Pennsylvania. We pray this day for the families of those who lost loved ones, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, children, and friends who did not come home that day. We thank you especially for the selfless sacrifice of first responders, of ordinary citizens whose stories may never be told, of brave passengers of United Flight 93 who made sure that that plane did not get to its destination. Lord, we pray for all those whose hearts are still heavy 20 years later. And we thank you for not just for your provision, of course, in that day and the, the stories of, of sacrifice and of bravery that we heard. But we also thank you that in you we have hope that goes beyond this world. We thank you, Lord, that for the promises that because of your death and resurrection, we know that good will win over evil, that light will conquer the dark, and that your kingdom will be established in righteousness and justice, and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we look forward to that day and hold on to the hope that it brings us. And Lord, we also carry in our own burdens, our own concerns this morning. So whatever is on our hearts, Lord. I, I ask that your Holy Spirit would work in us to lay those burdens down at your feet. Whether we're here in the sanctuary or listening on the radio or watching on Facebook, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in us to draw us to yourself, that we may draw near to you, Lord, and then you promise that you'll draw near to us as well. We thank you for all these things in the, in the good and holy and righteous and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Savior who taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. I'm going to be reading that for us here in just a moment. I'm also going to be uh, taking a moment to introduce our new sermon series here as well. So let's start by reading God's word together. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open that up to 2 Timothy, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles in the pews. I, I do want to encourage you as much as you're able to follow along with us here today as we study God's word together. So again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be beginning in verse 14. Paul writes to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can gather here in this place and worship you and praise your name. Um, and now, Lord, I ask that we would be open to what you have to say to us through your word. I pray that you give me words to speak through the presence of your Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, you'd also open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So before we dig right into the scripture passage today, I want to just take a moment and, and talk about what we're doing here today and in the next couple weeks, or 10 weeks, I should say. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new sermon series looking at our statement of faith that we have uh, been working to put together here for some time. And we're going to be starting today and going on for the next 10 weeks, digging into not just the statement of faith, but the scripture that's behind it. Because the statement of faith is really an expression of, of what we believe and why we believe it. And so on Sunday mornings, we're going to be taking time to study God's word together as we normally would do. But with the idea that we're going to be looking at the statement of impact that should have on us as a church family. And so uh, the statement of faith went out in our newsletter over the summer. So everybody that, that gets our newsletter received a copy of it. It's also available on our website. There's been copies of it in our office as well as at the info center here in the sanctuary for, for a couple months now. Um, if you don't have a copy of it, I encourage you to find one. Uh, if you don't have one with you today, feel free to stop in the office sometime and pick one up if there are no copies left over there. Um, it's what we're going to be spending time focusing on this fall. And I think it's really important for us to do that as a church because it, it's going to give us a foundation to build on going into the future and what God has in store for us. But in addition to Sunday mornings, there's also opportunities for us to gather in small groups and to continue to study this faith statement and, and the scripture that underlies it. Uh, and those groups are going to be starting this week. Uh, there's four groups that are meeting. One is actually going to meet immediately after the service here today. I know we have the fall kickoff. Uh, lunch isn't served till 11, so the group's going to kind of have a, a shortened meeting so that as the kids are doing the bounce house and having fun out in the parking lot, um, anybody who wants to be a part of that group is they're going to meet in the social room downstairs, and they're going to kind of work through uh, the first week of this study together um, and, and definitely be wrapped up to come and have lunch with us at 11 o'clock over in the ministry center. There's also a group meeting tonight here at the at church in the ministry center at 530 from 530 to 7. Uh, there's a group on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock that is led by uh, Stan Reinecke and Michelle Dillon. They're going to be taking turns hosting that group, but it's going to start this week at the Reinecke's home. And there's a group also that meets on Thursday morning. If, if you're, you know, a retired person or you work a different, you know, you don't work first shift and you're available in the mornings, there's a group that will meet Thursday morning, again, in the ministry center at 10 o'clock, and you all are invited to be a part of that. Uh, again, I, I invite you to, to be a part of that because it's one thing to sit here on Sunday mornings and listen to me talk, right? Listen to the sermon. Uh, and, and I do hope that this is a, a benefit and a blessing to you at this time and you're able to learn. Uh, but those groups are going to be even more important because that's going to be an opportunity for you to dig into God's word together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and to study it together. And there's no better way to learn God's word than to do it in community like that. So I, I really do want to encourage you, if you're able to be a part of one of those groups, to join one this week. If you can't make it this week but can, but can come to other ones, that's, that's great too. Uh, just let your group leader know and we will... Uh, plan on you being there whenever it is possible for you to be there. So with that being said, let's dig into uh, this first part of the faith statement. So we're beginning, the, the faith statement begins with a section on the Bible, on God's word. So each week I'm going to read what our faith statement says, and then we're going to turn our attention to scripture and why that is important. So our faith statement begins with, we believe the Bible. We believe the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments, is the inspired, inerrant word of God. It is the complete and final revelation of God and is the ultimate authority for faith and life. The Bible provides encouragement, guidance, comfort, and instruction for training in righteousness. So you may be here wondering, you know, if you weren't part of the process in developing this and, and, and looking at it over the last several months, um, you may be wondering, why start with the Bible, right? Why don't you start with God? Why don't you start with Jesus? Why don't you start with salvation? That's a, it's a great question. But I think it's important for us to start with the Bible because it's the Bible that is the foundation for our belief. I used to play the game Jenga. I haven't played it in, so, in, in a while, but you guys know the game Jenga. It's, you stack up these wooden blocks on the table, and your goal is to try to pull out one block at a time and stack it on the tower to try to make it as tall as you can before it falls over. And the game is challenging because every time you pull one of those wooden blocks out, the tower becomes more, or excuse me, less and less stable. And so just one little bump, one false move can make the whole tower crash down. When we talk about God's word, when we talk about the Bible, it's important because it's the foundation for our faith. If we don't believe the Bible is what 
we're going to say it is today and what, what our faith statement is, is pointing to, what Scripture says about itself. If we don't believe those things, it's like we're pulling blocks out of the Jenga tower, right? We're pulling away at the foundation of our faith. If we don't believe the Bible is God's word, if we don't believe it's true, if we don't believe it's reliable, if we don't believe it's authoritative, then we're pulling those blocks away from our foundation. And, soon, and sooner rather than later, that tower will come crashing down. So it's important that we start with the Bible because it is the foundation for our faith. And the Bible is God's revelation to us. It's the way that he's made himself known to us and the way that we can understand him and who he is and what he's done in the world. And if you think about it, that in and of itself is an act of grace, that God has made himself known to us through his written word, right? God could have done it in any number of ways. He could have not done it at all. But yet he chose to make himself known through his word in a way that is accessible to us today, that is accessible in, in multiple translations, in different languages, in our own language, we can know and understand who God is in his will for us. That's why the Bible is important. It says God's self-revelation, a special revelation to us, his creation. And so how we understand the Bible affects how we understand the rest of our faith. And so we're going to be looking today at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to bring in a couple other passages. Uh, but in that faith statement, if you have that, you see there's plenty of other scripture passages as well. So, so we're looking primarily at one of them here today, but there's other scripture passages we could easily point to. And, and that's something those small groups are going to have the opportunity to do is dig into God's word even more. But today we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy. And just want to kind of give you a little bit more of the context where, where Paul is uh, the, the kind of the situation that Paul is speaking into. And if you were to look at your Bible and have, have it open to 2 Timothy, if you were to go back to verse 10, you see that, that Paul is addressing Timothy here and encouraging him because he's facing hardship and persecution. Um, he says, at the beginning of verse 10, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, persecutions and sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Listeria? The, the people, excuse me, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone, verse 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Paul is, is, is in essence, kind of encouraging and, and warning Timothy that, that he's, just as Paul had faced hardship, he's going to face hardship too as well, right? And, and if we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus himself suffered, right? Jesus, if anybody in the world deserved not to suffer, it was Jesus, right? Because he was the only sinless, perfect, obedient person that ever lived because he was the son of God in the flesh. Yet he suffered and died. Why should we expect any different? And that context is important because it's in the context of that hardship and suffering and persecution that Paul then gives Timothy this encouragement to ground himself in the word of God, to continue in what he's learned and become convinced of. In other words, he's saying, don't abandon the faith when things get difficult. When persecution comes, you need to hold on to God's word all the more tightly. Let me ask you this. Are you convinced that God's word is true and reliable and good? You see, that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? Hardship will reveal what you truly believe about yourself and about the world around you. And it will certainly reveal what you believe to be true about God's word. If you don't believe God's word is true, if you don't believe it is from him, is the revelation of the creator and sustainer of the universe, then it's not going to bring you comfort or hope or strength during times of difficulty. But to the person who does, who believes those things, God's word is a lifeline. It's a wellspring of hope. It's a light in the darkness. It's joy in the midst of loss. And Paul reminds Timothy that right, one of the reasons why I love children's chat, why I love Sunday school, why I love um, what happens on a regular basis in the youth ministry is because God's word is for all of us, not just for adults, not just for big church or whatever you want to call it. It's for everyone. And it's important that we ground our kids in God's word from an early age because it's, it's that foundation that they will, they will grow up in and learn from as they grow older. You see all the way back in chapter 1, verse 5, that, that Timothy was taught by his mother and his grandmother from a young age. 
And it's that foundation that he is then building on as an adult. And we see here that that scripture makes people wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, all scripture points us to Jesus. We make a mistake if we approach God's word as if it's primarily about us, as if we're the main characters in the story. And way too often we do that. We read a passage and our first thought is, what is this about? How does this relate to me? Or what is this teaching me? And I'm not saying that's a bad question to ask. It's just not the first question you should ask. You know what I mean? Like that, that comes later on down the road. But we need to remember that all scripture is first and foremost about Jesus. It's about what God has done in the world through his son to bring salvation to all people. When we see that, it says that all the Holy Scriptures make us wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say that all Scripture is God-breathed, and Maria did a wonderful job helping our children understand what that means here today. But first of all, we need to notice that he says all Scripture is God-breathed. It's important that, that we recognize that it's for all Scripture, both Old and New Testaments. Right? And it's important to know the relationship between the Old and New Testaments. It's not like the Old is old in the sense that it's no use anymore. It's that it came first. It's the story of what God had done from creation up to the point of the incarnation and the birth of Christ. So the Old Testament points forward to Jesus, and we can't fully understand the New Testament. We can't fully understand the life of Christ without understanding the background that we find in the Old Testament. And then the New Testament reveals and explains the culmination of God's plan for salvation that had been laid out for us in the old. So it's not that there are two disconnected books put together for us. It is one unified story of what God has done from creation through the fall, through the kingdoms of Israel, through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, and through the early church and on forward. It's one unified story of what God is doing in the world to redeem us and save us. So it's all scripture, but it's also God-breathed. And this, the interesting thing about this phrase is depending on which translation of the Bible you happen to have in front of you, at different times it could read differently. And the reason for that is because this is a word that Paul literally made up on the spot as he was trying to figure out a way to explain what it means that God's word is inspired. And so he took the word for God and he took the word for breath and literally just slammed them together and made one brand new word. And so some translations say God breathed. You have translations like um, the ESV, which say breathed out by God. You have others like the, uh, well, the CSB and the NASB that say inspired by God. If you're an old King James version kind of person, it says given by inspiration of God. But they all are meant to communicate the same thing. However it's translated, it points to the fact that Scripture is not of human origin. It's uniquely given by God through the Holy Spirit to human authors. And so it's important for us to, to try to define what inspiration means for us. It means that the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments, was given to us by God in such a way that the words of the Bible are the words of God. Right? That what we have here for us in front of us that we read from and study every week are the words of God. Now, there's, there's many different ways that, that God inspired the authors of the Bible to write. There's not just one way he did it. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says that God, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So it's not the same thing that's happened. It's not the same way and it's not the same people. As Maria pointed out, poets and kings and ordinary fishermen and tax collectors, right, were all authors of Scripture. And when we talk about inspiration, we don't mean that, we don't mean that God, like, somehow took over control of the, the human author, that they had no part to play. No, God used those human authors to write exactly what he intended for them to write. And so he, he spoke to them in and through their circumstances and, and through their personalities, in their vocabulary, in their particular historical context, God used those situations to produce exactly what he intended to produce. In Second Peter chapter 1, uh, it talks about how God's word is completely reliable. And it talks about how Peter and other apostles were eyewitnesses of who Jesus was and, and, and what he had done for us. And if you're like me, this past week, the September 11th, you spent time watching 
old news footage and these um, uh, these almost uh, found footage, I don't know other way to put it, uh, reports of, of what happened on that day. There's new documentaries that were produced this year that were very, very well done, and I encourage you to check those out. That was 20 years ago yesterday, right? And we, and we were able to witness what happened. Many of you remember exactly where you were the day of September 11, 2001. And the stories that we continue, have continued to hear over the past two decades have only kind of filled in the gaps for us of what exactly happened on that day. Well, most of the New Testament was written within 20 to 30 to 40 years of the death of Christ. Some of the earliest writings we have in the New Testament were written within 20 or 25 years of the cross. That would be the same time period of us looking back to September 11th, 2001. Now think about that, right? If, if you were to talk with someone who was at the World Trade Center on September 11th, 2001, and they were telling you about what happened, you wouldn't look at them in the face and say, no, I don't believe you, right? You're, you're, you must be confused. Those stories couldn't possibly be true. No, if they were there, you would believe what they had to say because they were eyewitnesses to what had happened. Well, the New Testament is like that for us. It's eyewitness accounts of who Jesus was and what he'd done for us. And Second Peter chapter 1 even goes on to say that even the Old Testament writings we have, the prophecies that we have, are of the same authority. They're completely reliable because it was in and through the prophets that God spoke. And that prophecy does not come about through human will or origin, but those that were carried on by the Spirit of God. And so the Bible is... God breathed, it's inspired, it's reliable. And we see here, in back, looking back at 2 Timothy, he gives us three reasons why God gave us Scripture in the first place. And as I already talked, it's about how God, it's God's self-revelation, God revealing himself to us. It's not a record of human beings in search of God, it's about God choosing to make himself known to us. And there's three reasons why he's given us his word. Well, the first one we've already talked about, so I won't spend much time there, and that is in order to save us. These, it is the Holy Scriptures that make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It reveals God's character and work in the world from the beginning of time, through the cross, through the resurrection, and he even gives us hope and promise for what will happen in the future. It brings our sinfulness to light so that we can recognize our need for God and our need for salvation so that we may turn to Christ and be saved. And ultimately, the gospel, what God has done in the world through Christ, is a statement, it's a pronouncement about what has already taken place. What God has already done through Christ to save sinners. That is his death and his resurrection. The gospel is not about what we have to do to earn our way and already done. If it was about what we had to do, then it wouldn't be very good news because none of us would be able to do it. But it's about what God has already done for us in Christ. So the first reason is God gives us his word is to save us. The second reason is to transform us. And we see that in 2 Timothy 3.16. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we've talked about God's word is inspired, but we also need to take a moment and talk about how is it inerrant. In other words, it is entirely truthful. The Bible is without error in what it intends to communicate to us. We know that's true because if it is inspired by God and if it is God's word, then we know that because God is who he says he is, that it must also be truthful and without error. We see that, again, the testimony of Scripture itself from the Old and the New Testaments speaks to that. Hebrews 6.18 says it is, impossible, it is impossible for God to lie. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 says that every word of God is true. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35 teaches us that God's word is eternal. Right? It will not come to an end. In John 17, 17, God's word is truth. It is the ultimate standard for truth. Notice when Jesus says that, and we talked about that in the last couple of weeks, so I won't spend much time here today. It says that God's word is truth. It doesn't say that God's word contains truth. It doesn't say that God's word points to truth. It says that God's word is truth. It is the standard for us. And so if God's word is inspired... And if God's word is true, then it must also be authoritative. What I mean by that is that it, it, it must, that we must submit ourselves and be obedient to God's word and how he's revealed himself to us. 
Because if, if, if it is the words of God, and if it is true, then we have no other choice but be obedient to it. And if God's word says God is a certain way, then that's what we must believe God is like. If God says that we should live and act a certain way through his word, then we should live and act that way to the best of our abilities as we're empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit to do so. Scripture is our final and highest authority, not our only authority, right? There are plenty of other authorities we have to submit to in our lives, our boss at work, right, our government, um, even, even the place of tradition and history within a church or, or a community or nation is, is important. But what we're saying when we say Scripture is the highest or ultimate authority is that that Scripture takes precedent over all other things. So when, when there's a clear command from Scripture to act or to live or to be a certain way, that takes precedent over anything else. And so we are called to live in obedience to God's word. And so that's why it's able to teach us and correct us and rebuke us and train us because as we live in submission to God's word and as we study it, we'll see that there are parts of our lives that don't line up with what God wants us to do and who he wants us to be. There's things in our own lives, there's things in our church, there's things in our community, there's things in our world that we know don't line up with God's word. And so we want to strive within the best of our own ability and capabilities to live in submission to God's word. And when, and when that means things need to change in my own life, I need to be willing to allow God's word to shape me and mold me in that way. So third thing God's word does for us is that it, it equips us. He says in verse 17, for every good work, in other words, to serve God and live for him in the world. The Bible points us to something greater than ourselves, that we are not the center of our own universe, right? We, don't, we, don't li- we are called not to live as if everything revolves around us. But unfortunately, way too many of us do that. We act as if everything is, in, is, is meant to be about us and for us and in us and through us. But that's not us. There's only one person that deserves that spot, and that is Christ. He is the center of everything. Jesus said that all of the law of Scripture can be summed up in one command. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in all of Scripture is summed up in those two things. In other words, it's not about us. It's about living for Him. And in and, and through that love for God, we're called to love others as well. And the more that we're in the Word, the more that we will be able to live like Christ and take on His attitudes, His actions, His will for us. There's so much more to to cover so much more to talk about and that's what those small groups are for so what i want to do in the couple minutes i have left is just just ask the question what does this all mean for us as individuals it means that we must make reading studying obeying scripture a priority in our lives we need to strive for what i would call biblical literacy in other words we need to know god's word right because if we're called if god's word if the bible is god's word if it's true and if it's called to be authoritative in our lives, we can't obey it. We can't, we can't shape our, we can't allow it to shape our lives if we don't know it. And so we need to be people of the word. And there's different ways we can do that, different levels of biblical engagement. Um, there's, there's just simple reading of God's word. That's just reading large chunks of scripture and allowing allowing God's word to shape you from, a, from that larger picture perspective. It's, it's reading the story of scripture from beginning to end or large chunks at a time, not necessarily studying it, but allowing it to, to shape your thinking and your thoughts each day. It's like gathering water from a stream, right? As the stream is flowing by, you're able to grab something each day that's able to encourage and help you. But then we also should be people who are studying God's word. And, and, and studying, I want to say, is different than reading. Reading is something you can do every day, right? It's something that you can set aside a few minutes every day to read God's Word. But studying is a little bit more involved, right? It's, it means really digging in. And it means maybe sticking in one chapter of the Bible or one book of the Bible for a long time and really just digging in and allowing God to, to work and the Holy Spirit to work in that. Rather than gathering water from a stream, that's like digging a well, right? And digging down deep and gathering water from the source. But we're also called, those are things that we could do on our own, but we're also called to be reading scripture in fellowship with other believers. It's what we do on Sunday mornings. 
So what we do in Sunday school classes and Bible studies, what we hope to do with these uh, Bible study groups with the faith statement. And that, I want to say, is like sharing water that you gather with others and receiving water that other people have gathered, right? Because sometimes we read scripture or someone else reads scripture and we come at it from a different perspective. We're able to learn from each other. And, and maybe, maybe you say something that I didn't catch during my reading or I say something that you didn't and you're able to encourage one another in that way. But we also need to allow not just knowledge to be attained, but we also need to allow God's word to transform us and shape us through, through obedience. The goal of scripture is not to make us better, nicer, kinder people through some, some sort of behavior modification. The goal of scripture is to become wise unto salvation, to be born again, to see the, the depth of our sin and the holiness of God, and to realize that we cannot save ourselves, to fully throw ourselves at the mercy of God on display at the cross. The goal, as the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel tell us, is to give us a new heart. And one of the evidences of that new heart is obedience to his word. And finally, it means that as a church, it means that everything we do must be grounded in scripture. Yes, that obviously means sermons. It means Sunday school curriculum. It means Bible studies, right? Those all need to be focused on God's word. But it should also determine what songs we sing together, what kinds of missions and activities we support, and how we spend our time together outside of the four walls of this sanctuary, right? We cannot, and we cannot, it, it means, excuse me, it means making time for the public reading of God's word in the service and, and giving the congregation, giving each one of us opportunities to respond to God's word through prayer. And we cannot be the church if we're not people of the word. If we're not in the word ourselves on a regular basis, if we're not doing that together as a church family, then we cannot be the church that God has called us to be. And that's a reality check for us, right? We are busier today than we've ever been before. You know, people used to come to church on Sunday mornings and sometimes Sunday nights and then Wednesday nights, right? And that was just the norm and expectation. Um, there's, there's some research groups that, that used to collect data. They've been collecting data about church attendance and involvement for decades. And several decades ago, what they considered to be a regular church attender was someone who, who attended church about twice a week. Now, when they do those same surveys, they consider a regular church attender someone who attends church services at least twice a month. See the difference there? That's how our society has changed. But here's what I say. I'm not saying you have to quit everything else you're doing and be at church all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But what I want to say is that we need to make being together as a church family and studying his word a priority in our lives. And for those times that we do have together, we need to make sure that we are, are surrounding ourselves with God's word. That the time we do have together is focused on scripture and what God has to say for us there. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word which is a light for our feet and a lamp for our paths. As we close our service today, uh, we just thank you that your word for us, Lord God, uh, is a firm foundation that we can build on. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand as we close our service today by singing hymn number 275, How Firm a Foundation.
And now by our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. You may go in peace.